0: Good morning. Christmas is here. I love the snow yesterday. I don't like to deal with the snow, but it's just so peaceful and beautiful to watch it come down. And this is our third Advent uh, uh, before Christmas, and Christmas is just around the corner now. Uh, today, our topic matter is joy. Sometimes when I do a sermon, <laughs> I kind of find it ironic. The subject matter that I have to preach on, because I haven't got it down in my own life very well, and such is the case this morning. Uh, I know we're supposed to have a prevailing joy uh, no matter what we're facing in our lives, and I admit to you right now, I'm being very transparent, that I'm working on this. I'm working on this one. Um, Out of my own awareness, I'm sharing with you this morning, uh, we're in this pursuit together today. Uh, And I want to just encourage you to be open to what the Holy Spirit would do in your life. Um, I know that I'm becoming more joyous, but it's on purpose. It's not accidental. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to touch my lives in in regard uh, to joy. Um, And I I talk about joy. It's not bubbliness. (laughs) I'm never going to be a bubbly person. Um, Some of you aren't either. But there should be this prevailing state of the heart that's full of joy because Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord. We often confuse joy with happiness, don't we? Joy is to be a state of the heart because the Lord is your Savior and he is your master. So we're to have this demeanor, this demeanor of heart that is joyous because it's fixated on Jesus Christ. You're not joyous because life is easy, because life is going your way, because everything is working out. You're joyous because Jesus is your Savior and you have the Holy Spirit living in you and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we're told in Galatians 5, verse 22, is joy. Joy should be there because the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. We're going to read Galatians 5, verse 22 out loud together. I often tell new believers, if you're going to go to a book of the Bible, the New Testament, and you're going to read it first, read Galatians. It's like a condensed version of deep theology. In those several short chapters, you get the whole understanding uh, of the gospel message and, and what it's all about. So if you're new to Christ this morning and you're wondering, where should I begin to read my Bible? Go to Galatians. It's a good book to read. Um, This listing that we're about to read from Galatians 5, uh, verse 22 out loud together should sound familiar because the first three are Advent topics. And so there's some redundancy there, and it's a good redundancy. So read this out loud with me, Galatians 5, verse 22. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So one of the most insightful things I'm going to share with you this morning is simply this. You want to be more joyous? Ask the Holy Spirit to do that in your life. Don't try necessarily harder. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come in and grace you with that fruit of the Spirit. Ask for that transformation to take place in your hearts. Now, happiness, on the other hand, It's different from joy in that happiness is dependent on right happenings. It's more circumstance-oriented. It's more about life going my way, life working out well, and therefore I'm happy about the favorable happenings that's happening to me. It's not joy. Joy and happiness are two entirely different things. You can be a happy person and not have the joy of the Lord. Amen? And you can be a joyous person but not be happy about what's happening in your life, right? So let's nail this down with some introductory kind of thinking here this morning. Joy is not the same as happiness. Joy is simply not the same as happiness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you hear that? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is dependent on right happenings. Happiness is dependent on right happenings. So with that bit of introduction and clarification, we're ready to dig deeper into today's topic of joy. And we're again today going to look at a story within the Christmas story. We're going to look at the story of this young Virgin Mary and how incredibly receptive she was to the good news that she would bear God's son. Her joy that she expresses, as we'll read about here in a few moments, which uh, is known as Mary's song, is not a happenings-based joy. Although, you know what, it's pretty cool that she would bear the Son of God. But the reality of Mary's life was that she would be misunderstood and probably mocked and ridiculed and and probably discriminated against and all those kinds of things because of her status of being an unwed mom in that culture. So her reality didn't lend itself to joy, but her love of the Lord and her anticipation of what he was going to do did lead to that. Let me begin with some background before we get into our reading this morning. The angel Gabriel had visited Mary, told her, you're going to be with child. You're going to give birth to a son. He's going to be Jesus. He's going to save his people. This will be accomplished by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. And the one born to you will be called the Son of God. And unlike Zechariah, she receives that in faith. She just simply says, let it be done to me as you have said. Zechariah, on the other hand, when Gabriel visited him, if you remember, uh, he couldn't believe What the angel said, he and his wife Elizabeth had gone through years of infertility and barrenness. He had become a hopeless person. They are beyond childbearing years. And so when Gabriel comes to Zechariah, he just didn't take it at face value that he would have a kid. Mary, on the other hand, took it at face value. And she says, let it be done to me as you have said. That is an incredible statement of faith and a statement full of implication big time implication so having said all this now mary is on the way to see her relative elizabeth she's pregnant with the christ child think about that family get together by the way john the baptist jesus the son of god quite a family get together amen this is kind of cool i'm going to read about their get together here it's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Whenever we have a holiday get-together, I'm talking about the Normie clan now, there's a lot of excitement. Can you relate to that? It's the holiday season. You get together with family. There's just a lot of excitement. At present, we have 12 out-of-the-womb grandchildren, one on the way. It's a lot of excitement. That's all I got to say. It's loud. I notice every year it gets a little louder. And this last get-together around Thanksgiving, it was ear-piercing loud. I don't know how to describe how loud it actually was. And I found myself going into another room and shutting the door and thanking God for doors <laughs> that couldn't the quiet. The cousins were just so excited to see each other. It was kind of uncontainable. That's the moment we just read about. This relative family, these relatives got together and already we see the ministry of John begin. He leaps for joy in the womb of his mother. We already see what was told about him, that he would be the herald for Jesus Christ, that he would tell people about Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up, right? And what does John do? He's so happy. He's doing somersaults in mom's womb. Ah, That's a cool picture. And right after this, Greeting in, you know, these really cool words by Elizabeth, uh, Mary's going to respond with what is called Mary's song. It's one of the, the most joyous praises I- I- in the Bible. But behind Mary's song is some reality that I think bears talking about for a few moments this morning so we can appreciate Mary's song even greater and can recognize that joy is beyond circumstances this is the implication part of the mary statement let it be done to me as you have said to gabriel the angel it's mind-boggling that mary could even sing a song based on some of the reality that this young woman was facing in her life if there ever be a person who had reason not to sing that case could be made for mary This young teenager, and most likely in her culture, she she was viewed more like property than like a person. She was pregnant without the dignity of the cover of marriage. So this is the first reality of marriage that we need to acknowledge today. It's this, Mary is pregnant without the dignity and cover of marriage. That would be a shock in that culture. That would be mouth-dropping kind of thing. It would just be, wow, are you kidding me? That would be enough in and of itself to keep a young woman from singing a praise out to the Lord. But get this. This is the second reality of Mary as as we read about her this morning. Mary had just traveled about 80 miles, 80 miles to visit her cousin Elizabeth, to visit her elderly relative. I shouldn't say cousin. Her elderly relative, I should say it correctly. Let's head back to the Norby clan for a moment here. In the Norby clan, the mothers who've had children really get morning sickness hard. It started with Vicki. We have six children. Every single one, she was tremendously sick throughout the whole nine months of pregnancy. She threw up all the time. It was just common, four or five times a day. I'd be around people, and they'd all be shocked, and I'd go, "Ah, she's just throwing up, no big deal. You know, you just get used to it. It's just what she does. She throws up everywhere. You know, she's pregnant. She throws up. And I remember us taking a trip to the Badlands. I can't remember which child was in her womb at the time. That's what happens when you have six kids. But we got to the Badlands, got out of the car. She runs and throws up. And I remember out of my great sympathy and my empathetic kind of spirit that I have, I said, well, the Badlands just got a little worse, you know. You threw up, no big deal. Nobody will notice because she's kind of like, oh. I said, no, nobody knows. It's just the Badlands, you know. Um, And my four daughters that I have have all inherited the same thing. Aren't genetics wonderful? Some things are just because of genetics. And my fifth-born, Abby, is pregnant with her second child, and she has a little boy, Rowan, who's about nine months. And Rowan, here a few days back, decided it would be a good day to just overeat. And he ate, and he ate, and Abby said it was like, I couldn't feed him enough. And he just kept feeding him and feeding him and feeding him. Well, then she picks up her little boy and begins to walk him into the living room, and guess what he does? He decides to lose the contents of his stomach. Now, this is where... You only do this if you're a mother or father. It changes things like crazy. If you become a mother or dad, some things you would never do, you begin to do. And she tries to catch the throw-up. You know what? If you don't have a child and you're not experienced in that regard, if you see somebody throwing up, what do you do? You get out of there. You just don't want to be anywhere close to that throwing up person, right? But she's trying to catch the throw-up so it doesn't go all over the living room carpet and, you know, the furniture in the living room. Well, at any rate... This caused her to what? Begin to throw up. She's pregnant, and she has throw up in her hands. So she runs into the living room, or kitchen, excuse me, and throws up all over the kitchen. So I'm listening to this story. I think it's hilarious because I'm not the one throwing up. You know, <laughs> this is just what the Norvies do. So I'm reading the story about young Mary. She's pregnant. She's going 80 to 100 miles in this heat of the Middle Eastern climate. She has got to have morning sickness. And all I can think of is, I wonder how many times she threw up. That wouldn't be very comfortable. She probably wasn't comfortable from that standpoint alone on this trip. And in addition to that, she's taking a trip of 80 to 100 miles in really a hot climate. That's like going, friends, to Sioux Falls and back, by foot or on the back of some kind of a donkey. That had to be miserable. It took four days to make that trip. I believe there's an overhead on, behind me showing the, the, the route she most likely took. I'm thinking the strain of that trip would cause me not to sing. How about you? I wouldn't want to sing to the Lord. Have you ever been? Do you ever feel like throwing up? Do you feel like singing when you want to throw up? Do you feel like singing when you've been on a four-day trip in the desert? The strain of all that would just take the... the, the the voice of song right out of my life. Well, then on top of all this, and this is point number three of Mary's reality, is Mary's pregnancy story is scandalous. And it's incredible. When I, mean, when I say incredible, you would hear it go, really? I can't even believe Really? You're pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Really? And you would think, ah, oh, you've done something wrong, girl. Scandalous. And there would be stress in her life because of this, st- this status of being pregnant and claiming to be a virgin. There would be stress. So, so Mary's reality was shock, strain, and stress. And out of that shock and strain and stress, this faith-inspiring song finds its way to her mouth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this song the most passionate, wildest, most revolutionary Advent hymn. And I agree with him, because if you know the circumstances from whence it came forth and the reality that this young woman was facing, you're just amazed that she could sing a song at all. So let's listen now to Mary's song, it's called, found in Luke chapter 1, verses 46-56. Listen to this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has, done, he has been mindful of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, to his descendants forever, just as he's promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then returned home. Wow. I'm amazed the girl could sing it all. And she sings this passionate, revolutionary psalm that's truly amazing. C.S. Lewis called the song terrifying. And he doesn't mean in an angry, terrifying way. It's just terrifying that she could even do this. It's a psalm that announces, all my ancestors' prayers have been answered. And honestly, some of those prayers were angry and vengeful and and, and calling for God to, to, you know, exact some blood from enemy kind of things. Um, But God, in his sovereignty, didn't dismiss those prayers. He answered them in his way. I am going to send a revolutionary person, my son. He is going to change everything. He is going to exact justice he is going to do right he is going to show mercy and mary was carrying that answer and prayer in her womb in jesus the christ child she's not necessarily singing because her circumstances are favorable are you getting that she's not singing because she has a lack of absence or the absence of adversity in her life she's singing because of who god is and what he's up to in her life. She's anticipating what God is bringing about. We live in a time of anticipation, also, you know. We live in the in between time, between the first appearing and second appearing of Jesus Christ. We live in a time that's not so easy either. It's full of adversity, right? Hard times, times of sorrow, times that could be characterized by shock and strain and stress. But we're to be people like Mary who anticipate what God's up to. And there should be a song of joy in our heart too, amen, that transcends the circumstance. So what's the source of her joy? We know part of it is the Holy Spirit, right? He's anointing her, amen, right? But what's the source of her joy? She reveals some of that in her song of praise. I want to cover just two points with you uh, this morning. Mary's source of joy. First of all, Mary rejoices because God is her mighty one. God is her mighty one. God is her mighty one. Mary lists the things that God has done. He has performed mighty deeds, you know. he scattered the proud, brought down rulers, exalted the lowly, deprived the rich, filled the poor. But you have to notice something. She's exalting this mighty God, and she's appropriating that all to her. She's saying, this same God that's done all these things will do this very kind of thing in my life. We need to begin to look at God and his word in that same kind of perspective. God, who is mighty and has done mighty things in times past, will continue to be the God who is mighty, and He will do mighty things in our lives. When God called Abraham and He rescued Isaac, and when God, you know, uh, uh, preserved Egypt through Joseph and He led Israel uh, by Moses, He did that for you because you're part of His plans. When God anointed judges like Deborah and Samson and great prophets like Samuel. He did that for you because you're too part of his plans. When God took the crown off of King Saul and he put that crown onto David, he did that for you because you're part of God's plans. When the wall was rebuilt around Jerusalem through the ministry of Nehemiah and then the anointing of Ezra, the priest, God did that for you too because you too are part of his plans. Are you getting this? You need to begin to read God's word differently. You need to begin to see that the mighty God who's done mighty deeds in the past continues to be the mighty God who did mighty deeds now and he's going to continue to do that in the future. That's what Mary got, that's what Mary understood. That's why her joy was uncontainable, and the song of praise could burst forth from her lips in the most adverse of conditions. Years ago, about 10 years ago now, my staff and myself went to a conference in Atlanta, Georgia. If I remember right, it was in the middle of the wintertime in Williston, North Dakota. Anytime you could go to Atlanta, Georgia in the middle of wintertime, that's a miracle in and of itself. Great weather. Great weather. And I went to this conference put on by North Point, by Andy Stanley's church, Catalyst. There was about 11,000 people there. It's the first time I heard the song Mighty to Save. It was breathtaking. It was loud. I mean loud, thunderous loud. And everybody there was belting off the song, God is mighty to save, mighty to save. It was just Sent chills down my back. Listen to its course. My Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Forever author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. And I know God saves people. This is what I'm about. Amen? But on that particular day, I begin to say, You don't just save people, God. You're mighty in that endeavor, you're great in that endeavor. I've been looking at you as the one who saves and I need to look at you as the one who's mighty in in this salvation process. You're beyond comprehension. And you know what that does? As you embrace that aspect of God that he's mighty, there's this joy that wells up in you. There's this assurance, there's peace, this hope. You can't express it. It becomes just part of how you begin to think about life and about who God is. That's what Mary had. She had this view of the mighty God. Secondly, Mary rejoices because God is her covenant partner, her covenant partner. Do any of you think of God as your friend? Would you raise your hand and say that you think of God as your friend? I mean, that's a common thing in our culture today. That's wonderful. We're supposed to think of God as our friend, um, that's a popular concept right now. There's a song that sings about this Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you're thinking to me how you love me? It's amazing. Who am I? And then the course goes on to say, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. It's wonderful to have this understanding of God as a friend. I think it's very, very appropriate in our culture that's so broken and so many uh, uh, families are broken that people desire intimacy with God. And so this, this, this God being a friend captivates us, amen? It captivates us. But get this. This is not a friendship of equals. It's a friendship of two unequals. God's friendship with humanity is established on the basis of covenant relationship. And it's not a covenant of equals. Back in the time of Israel, it was a common thing for uh, two parties to go into a covenant relationship that would be mutually beneficial. They would each give to this relationship, and they'd each benefit from this relationship. And it was called a a, a covenant relationship, and they couldn't get out of it until death threw them apart. But there was also a covenant of unequals. It was called a suzerain covenant, where you had a superior and an inferior. It was also called a covenant of a vassal to a superior. And this is the kind of relationship that we have entered into with God. He's superior to us. And normally in that suzerain covenant, the inferior party would pay tribute to the superior party to gain their favor, their protection, and all that kind of thing, okay? But when it comes to God and us, guess what? We have nothing we can pay to God as far as tribute goes. In fact, in our covenant relationship with God, the suzerain covenant relationship with God, he paid the price. He made the sacrifice. He sent his son Jesus Christ as payment for our sins. This is what Mary is talking about when she says, you have not forgotten your promises to Abraham. They're coming to fruition right here in me. And she was extolling this covenant partnership she was experiencing with God, this suzerain covenant partnership that God was looking upon Abraham who didn't deserve any of his blessing. He simply believed God. Amen, right? And God, because of his love, Made the payment to make that covenant a possibility. He sent his son Jesus Christ. They pay our price for sins. And Jesus condescended, put on flesh, became one of us. And made the covenant relationship possible. This is mind-blowing if you understand covenant from a biblical perspective. It just doesn't happen. But God did this because God is love. And God wants to be in relationship with his lost creation. The stronger covenant partner, God doesn't need us, but we desperately what? We need him, amen? We need him. And so I pray when you think of God as your friend, you begin to think of him in this terminology too. And you know what that does? It creates more joy, more thankfulness in your heart. God reaches out to you not because he needs you, but because you need him. And this should inspire us to greater degrees of joy. So here's our application today. simply this. Your joy in the Lord is to be based on who He is. He's mighty. And His covenant suzerain relationship with you. Amen? Listen, we're all sitting here today with issues, aren't we? Does anybody not have an issue in their life today? Some of you have happy circumstances. Happy, 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 right? Greeny-faced and happy, happy, happy. Things are going well. All right but those are circumstance-oriented. Tomorrow might not be such a happy day. And in spite of your circumstances being happy or sad or troubling, you know whether like Mary you have shock and strain and stress being part of your reality, the joy of the Lord in you supersedes that because it's Holy Spirit-oriented. Right? The Holy Spirit does this work of, of, uh, in you. And because you serve a mighty God, and because you're in covenant relationship with him through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Joy then becomes something that's who you are, not what you work up. So we're going to end with a declaration today. Would you read this out loud with me, please? It's going to show up on the overhead behind me. Just read it out loud with me. We believe that in Jesus Christ we have joy. Do you believe it? Amen. I'm going to end by reading some scripture to you this morning from 1 Peter 1, verses 3-9. through It affirms this declaration. Hear these words, take them to heart. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, and I'd add this in there, like Mary, your life might be full of shock and strain and stress, who though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, Would you bow your head with me and let's pray? Lord God, I wanna thank you for this Advent Sunday that focuses us on joy. I think it's a timely message. I just pray that everyone here who knows you, Jesus, would be filled with this joy. If not, I pray they would seek after it and ask for this fruit of the Spirit to be evident in their life. For any here today that don't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray even now that they'd give their heart to you, they'd follow after you, and that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray as your people, as your followers, Jesus Christ, we would have this joy, joy inexpressible, because the fruit of the Spirit is so richly in us, because you're the mighty God, because we're in covenant relationship with you. No shock, no strain, no stress, no trials of this world can put out that light of that joy, because greater Jesus are you in us than these things that are in the world. We just trust in you this day. We trust that we can be a people of true joy. May it be so in our lives, Lord, not mere talk, but may it be who we really are in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,